Let us now turn in the Word of God for our instruction, for our meditation, for our praise, for our worship of Him this evening. Let us turn, first of all, in the Old Testament to the prophecy of Isaiah and the 40th chapter. And we read verse 1 to 8, and then we turn to the New Testament. The prophecy of Isaiah, the 40th chapter, verses 1 to the verse 8. Let us hear God's holy word. The Lord help us. The Lord give us ears to hear and hearts to truly receive his word this night. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice said, Cry. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is as grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. Let us turn now to the Gospel of Matthew and the chapter 3. We read from verse 1 through to the verse 17. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. This is the word of God. Let us hear. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair, and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat of camel's hair and leathern girdle about his loins, and meat was locusts, and wild honey, and went out to him, Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. Think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you, that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will throughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. 
Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and lightning, lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Amen. This is God's holy word. May the Lord be pleased to bless the reading of his word here this night. May the Lord help us as we draw near. Let us pray. Let us seek the Lord this night in sincere prayer. Well, dear friends, dear congregation, I wish to draw your attention to that second reading that I read to you in your hearing there in the Gospel of Matthew and the third chapter. And the verse 7, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 3, and this evening, with the Lord's help, thinking upon verses 7 and verse 8. I now have preached upon this verse before, but again, I pray that it might come with fresh power and influence over our souls, and that the Lord might convict the lost. Maybe there are those who are like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. As we look from Luke's Gospel, many amongst the multitude that were self-deceived and thought themselves to be right with God. But John calls them hypocrites. Notice what he says here concerning these who he describes as a generation of vipers and elsewhere he calls hypocrites. Verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat, or in keeping with repentance. Notice what he calls them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Let me suggest to you that the church today, by and large, is filled with many such people. Now my words might come quite strikingly and alarmingly to you, but I believe this is to be the case. There are those who play at religion, a little bit of religion in the life, and uh, who make a pretense at religion, and uh, they are not saved. And would the Lord unmask us if this is the case? There are many who have a knowledge of the Lord. I recount and recall in my mind right now when the Lord Jesus spoke a parable, the parable of the vine dressers. It was not as if these men didn't know what he was talking about. He knew that that parable was all about them. And they gnashed their teeth and they were angry. They had a certain insight. and You can have a certain insight into the things of God and become very resistant. You can have a little bit of religion, a bit of religiosity, a bit of church going about you and still be lost. These are solemn things. If you turn with me to the uh, Gospel of Luke and the third chapter as well. Luke uh, chapter 3, and we're told there in Luke 3 of the exact time the Lord pinpoints this for us in the Gospel of Luke, when this took place. If you notice in verse 1, Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of Itria, and of the region of Trachionis, Nitus, and Linaeus, the tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and 
Caiaphas, being the high priests of the word of God, came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And so we're told there of the exact time. It was the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, of Caesar. And if you notice, it's not just uh, these Pharisees and Sadducees. If you notice, uh, as he begins to preach and as he declares the words that we read in Isaiah chapter 40, come down to the verse 7 of Luke chapter 3. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. So it wasn't just the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but there was a great multitude who followed in the style and the frame of these men. Not just the religious leaders, but those who who followed him. And John emphasizes there, and as we come back to Matthew chapter 3, the absolute necessity of repentance toward God in salvation. And I want us to ask ourselves that question. Have we repented of our sins? The Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew, sorry, Luke chapter 13 said, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He said it twice there. Of course, repentance is the gift of God. Because only God can truly make a heart to repent. We come to a knowledge of the truth and we are confronted with the truth. And God says repent. And sinners are given grace to repent. But here's the question. Have you really repented? Have you really done what God's word says, what the Lord Jesus Christ says is absolutely essential? Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Well, what does the word repent mean? Well, in the Greek, and here in the New Testament, it's the word metanoia, which means a change of heart. It means a change of mind. It means a change of direction. And that really is, if you just turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 14, how the Lord Jesus Christ began to preach. He insisted on the absolute necessity of repentance before we receive the gospel. The gospel, in fact, calls us, or tells us we must repent. And then we believe the gospel. We believe the good news. Mark 1.14, now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. You see the order, repent and believe the gospel. Now many people might believe in the bare essentials of the gospel. They believe indeed of the gospel report, but there's been no change in the life. And they may even know something of the Savior. And remember how the Lord said, Many shall say unto me, Lord, Lord, but shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's the question to ask here tonight. As the Lord Jesus said in Luke 13, Except you repent. And as John says here, to these Pharisees and Sadducees and with the mass of people that gathered by the Jordan River to be baptized. He said, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth fruit, meat, or in keeping with repentance. Now, over the many years, people have asked me to baptize them. And I've refused. And the reason is because there is no change of life. There is no change and no direction in their life. There's no change of heart. They carry on in their own way. They, They have a bit of religion. See this religious group gathered here together. And they want to be baptized. And John refuses. 
point blank. Now you see, John was preparing, as we read in Isaiah 40. He is that prophet in the wilderness preparing the way for the Lord. The Lord who would come, and the Lord whose shoe sandals he was unworthy to untie. People from all over the country came to hear John. Many were convicted of their sin. But that's not the same as conversion, my friends. You know, you can be convicted. But here's the thing. As you look at your life, has there been a turning? Is there a turning to God? Because that's what requires. God requires, doesn't he? A turning. A turning from sin. And so on this occasion here in the verse 7, the Pharisees we see and the Sadducees come forward to be baptized. And I want us to look at the description that John gives concerning these men. He calls them a generation of vipers. And, and it's true. Every successive generation has a generation of vipers. Now the word here used for viper is very telling about the sinner who is self-deceived. And I hope this night that the Lord speaks to our hearts and we have careful examination whether we truly are the Lord's, whether we have been converted or not, or maybe we're still in a state of sin and we are giving ourselves some assurance that all is well. If you're found wanting, I pray that the preacher will make you feel that you go straight home and you get on your knees before God and you earnestly seek him with all your heart for this true repentance. If you don't have it, you might confess your sin to him. You might pray unto him to work in your life, to work in your heart. Now these men had religion, but it was half-baked. It was half-baked. They lived for the praise of men. We've been seeing it with the children in the Sabbath school every Lord's Day in the last few weeks. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, there are three areas of the Christian life where the Lord emphasizes. First of all, in verses 1 to 5 of Matthew 6, there's the emphasis on our giving. When you give your alms, he says, don't do it before men to be seen of men. When you pray, don't be as the hypocrites who love to pray on the street corners to be seen and to be heard of men. And when you fast, of course, fasting always goes in conjunction with prayer. That's the lesson in Matthew chapter 6. Don't be as these religious people who want to be seen fasting. They have their reward. The reward is to be seen of men, to have the praise of men. But you have no reward of your father. You see, it was a sham religion. It was superficial. It was all on the outward. Here tonight, I want us to consider these two religious groups and then the vast multitude, as we've read there in Luke chapter 3. The multitudes came, not just them, but their followers. There were many who followed the Pharisees and many who followed the Sadducees. And we must each individually, whether we think we're saved or not, ask that question here tonight. Am I truly born again? Am I truly made a new creature? Am I trusting in Christ? Am I living for him? Am I ready to die? And am I ready to face the judgment with confidence? Am I one that is truly, by the grace of God, fled to Christ for refuge? He says to them, who did warn you to flee the wrath to come? My friends, the wrath of God is coming. And it is coming upon all pretense. Jesus Christ is described in the book of the Revelation as he as having eyes as a flame of fire. And he can see through pretense. He can see through hypocrisy. He can see who truly are devoted to him and who truly love him. 
He can see through all of that. Now, these, first of all, the Pharisees, they were, it seemed, outwardly strict. But they were not inwardly strict. Do you remember, as we'll see much later on, maybe you wish to turn there with me, uh, turn with me later as we read here in the Gospel of Matthew concerning these religious hypocrites. And uh, Matthew 9, verse 14, notice, and came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft? But thy disciples fast not. And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and they shall fast. No man putteth a piece of new cloth into an old garment, for that which is put in to fill it up taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. Neither do men put new wine into all bottles, else the bottles break, and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. But they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. Well, right there, the Lord's speaking, essentially, about the need of a new bottle. Christ is that new wine, and the demands of the gospel are so great. But before that, or much later, sorry, in the next, in, in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 11, and uh, uh, there he is a warning of those who are impenitent, how God's wrath will come upon the outwardly religious, and uh, they will not escape. But also, we're reminded, remember how the Pharisees came and said, and they came trying to trick him. And they brought him Caesar's coin. And they said, should, should we render to Caesar? Should we pay taxes? And what was the Lord Jesus Christ's answer? Should we pay taxes? He said, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. And then he said, render to God that which is God's. The Christian does both. The Christian is not so much concerned so much about serving God, but he, he does what is upright in this world. He pays his taxes. He renders to Caesar what is Caesar's. Now, the Jews, they didn't want to render to Caesar. But we're told by the Apostle Paul in Romans 13 that the powers that be are ordained of God. And if you live in the land, if you work in this country, you pay your taxes. It's a command of the Lord Jesus, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. A Christian is honest in this world. He's sincere, he's not a cheat, he's not a fraud. He lives before God. And he renders to God what is God's. The Pharisees came trying to trip the Lord Jesus, trying to trick him. And he exposed the very fact that these people, all they were interested in is a bit of religion. They could care less about living honestly before men. Oh, they strained at gnats, but they swallowed camels. They ignored the weightier matters of the law. And you know, people can be outwardly scrupulous about religious things. But if you were to look at the details of their life, there's no living before God. Truly, in the small things of life, is there honesty? Is there sincerity? These Pharisees, well, they were whited sepulchres. That's how the Lord describes them. I'll take you there just quickly. Matthew twenty-two fifteen. Notice, then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him the disciples with the Herodians saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us therefore, what thinkest thou? 
Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness. It said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's then. He said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ did not abrogate the civil law. You see, and as a Christian, here's the thing, are, are you truly somebody that is sincere? Do you render to Caesar what is Caesar's? In your life, if you proclaim to be a Christian, are you honest about your dealings? You know, there are many people who uh, will reject authority and who claim to be Christians. Did somebody recently give me a quote for some work? And he said, there's two prices. He says, if you pay me cash, it's this price. If you pay me this way, it's this price. Of course, you know what the man was about, don't you? He's dishonest. And Christians aren't that way. When you get on the bus, you pay the fare. Don't you? You get on the train, you pay the fare, don't you? You pay your way. You do what is honest, what is right, because everything is before God. Otherwise, you are merely a religious hypocrite. And you can play games. You can pay, play religious games. God sees everything. You see, everything is important in the life. Everything we do here, and everything we do out there, is all important, isn't it? God sees the entire life of the person. And these people, friends, they were interested in religious business, and, and they, they paid tithes, but it, it, it was to do the bare minimum. They were legalistic in their approach. And what is he saying? Why did he, the Lord Jesus, refer to, to the fact that a new wineskin is needed? Because it's a new heart that's needed. Some people are just want enough to assure themselves. And here they are gathered at the Jordan and they, they just wanted another religious right to somehow assure them. They're going to heaven. There are some people, and we call them onces, just come once on the Lord's Day. Not really interested in keeping the Lord's Day. Not interested in serving God with the whole heart. God says, my son, give me thine heart. He wants the whole life, doesn't he? He wants our whole being. That's the question to ask. Are we a religious hypocrite? We can deceive ourselves. The scriptures say the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Friends, do, do we have a heart for God? John Calvin's motto was a heart on fire. That ought to be every Christian. A heart on fire for God. The heart ablaze for God. Who was standing and who was going to enter into this Jordan but God the Son? This is who our lives are devoted to. John said, one is going to come after me. He will baptize with fire and with the Holy Spirit. I'm not worthy of him. And you see... This is part of Christianity, isn't it? We realize that we're really not worthy of Christ. These men thought that they were worthy of God and worthy of his love and worthy, but they weren't worthy. 
that were playing at religion. And, and there are so many that play at religion. So many that just want to come along to, to be baptized and to have a stamp of approval somehow. They want the minister's approval and they want to, to, to come along just enough to church to say, well, all must be well. But all is not well. All is not well. These men were subtle in their religion. And this is why John says, oh, you generation of vipers. Well, firstly, they were self-deceived. The Lord Jesus had to address them in Mark, sorry, in John 8, 44, and say, you're of your father, the devil. Yes, if we are the Lord's, we truly want to serve him. Well, he refers to them here as a generation of vipers, snakes. Although these men, let me say, were self-satisfied and proud of themselves in their, really we could say, superficial religion. And there are so many that have a superficial religion today. It's not heart religion. And, and they were standing afar off. And there are many who would stand afar off, perhaps thinking they were better than others. They stood in all their long flowing apparel. And you know, you can put on your best garb for church, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. You give your best to the Lord on the Lord's day, don't you? That's a good thing. But these men took great pride in their apparel, in their long garments. They wore phylacteries. They would even bind upon their head a phylactery. And then there was the, the law of God. Upon their arms were phylacteries bound in black cords. And they thought that by binding the word on them, the word was bound on their hearts, that they were right with God. They were subtle. They were self-deceptive in their religion. They were self-satisfied with their traditions. And the supposed godliness. But they were lost. They were a generation of vipers. And every generation has them. And let me say, every church. So often you will find people like this. Satisfied with a little bit of religion. A little bit of show. But who are deceived. Self-deceived. Those who do not repent. See, that's the issue here. Bring forth fruit. He says, I want to see a change of life. I really want to see a dedication to God proving that you are a changed person, that you are born again. That it's not just words coming out your mouth. And I tell you, it's a word needed for today. We have had many disappointments. In this church, many people professing and content with a little bit of religion, outwardly religious. You watch them in the world. The Pharisees, well, they didn't really want to pay taxes. You know, taxes may be high. Income tax may be high. But who do you believe is actually over all governments? God is over all governments. You, as a Christian, you do not take the law in your own hands, do you? God forbid. As God's people, we believe God takes care of our business. We do good in the land and God will take care of us. We pay our way. We do what is right. And God will honor But secondly, they are called vipers because they're filled with poison. It's the nature of the viper, isn't it? To be filled with poison. They were always hissing at the truth, as it were. Every time the Lord Jesus came with a word, as if they, they hissed. Every time he, like that time he spoke that parable of the vine dresses, they knew he was speaking about them. What was their reaction? Was it repentance? 
is they got up on their hind legs. Thought, who is this man to speak to us? And they put him away. People put the preacher away. It's the description of a sinner. In Romans 3.13, we read, Paul is describing by the Spirit, the lost sinner, their throat is an open sepulcher, their tongues they have used deceit, the poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. It's one of the ways you know whether you're a hypocrite or not. When the word of God comes to you, and it comes, as Jeremiah says, like a hammer, what is your response when God's word hits you, as it were? Look at the people there in Acts chapter 2. They were cut to the heart. It'll have one of two responses. A snake will hiss at its enemy. My friend, the preacher's not your enemy. Man is his own worst enemy, isn't he? Thirdly, they described as vipers because the very nature of a snake is to deceive. It's very easy to deceive yourself, isn't it? God sees your life. People might see you here at church. But God sees your whole life. As he sees my life. Snakes have stealth. And you think of a snake, its, its coat can blend into its environment. Camouflage. It's, it's easy to camouflage, isn't it? Oneself. Think of a snake. It, it, it appears as a lush tree or, or a plant, but inside they're full of poison. The heart, you see, has never been changed. This bitterness, still a love for the world. That's how the Pharisees were. They loved the world, and they loved the praises of men. And when they went to pray, Matthew 6, they only prayed in church settings, in synagogue settings. Their devotion was superficial. Their life was superficial. It was an external obedience to the law. And in stealth they deceived many. Our Lord Jesus said in Matthew 23, 27, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are unto white sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but are within full of dead men's bones, and of all uncleanness. Even so ye outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy, and iniquity. There are many who can talk the talk. There are many who will gather in a church. That's how the Pharisees were. And they gathered here amongst those who were truly repentant. But it didn't mean that they were repentant. It didn't mean that they had a changed life. Many of them were adulterous. Remember the test. Whose wife shall she be if he has so many wives? Because these men trying to justify their adultery. Many of them were lining their pockets with what was called Koban. They were hypocrites. And like so many, they appeared good and wholesome, but they were not. Something else, like vipers, They crawled on their bellies because they loved the dust of the world. Isn't it interesting how, of course, Satan is introduced to us in the garden as the serpent. The Lord said that he should crawl. And it's a picture of the world. Adam, where did he come from? The dust. And vipers really do, don't they? They love the dust of the world. Paul says of the lost, he says, those who mind earthly things, whose God is their belly, a lover of the world, a viper, you see, 
is a true picture of the sinner who was lost. Many who don't really want to be in church. God's people, they love to be in the gathering of the saints. It's, it's the best day of the week for them. They long for it. I ask you that question tonight. It's terrible to have to try to persuade people to come to church and say they're Christians. There's nothing worse. There's nothing more depressing, my friends. Because you know that person really is a hypocrite. Or they seriously backslid. John looked at them without qualification and said, Yo, ye generation of vipers, effectively each and every one of you, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Let me say, friend, in tenderness and love, this is the condition of the lost person's heart. And if this is you tonight, and if you don't care about your sin, remember going back to rendering to Caesar and doing good to all men. You see, the whole of the Christian life is permeated with Christ's teaching. Am I concerned to live for the glory of God? Am I concerned to live as an honest, law-abiding citizen in this world? And never to bring a reproach upon my Lord Jesus Christ? then I can honestly say, you truly have repented. It doesn't mean that you're perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But there has been a change of heart. There has been a change of life. And you say, Lord, whatever you say goes in my life now. You remember what the Lord Jesus said? If your eye causes you to sin, what did he say? Put up with it. He said, pluck it out. If thy hand cause thee to offend, cut it off. You don't excuse sin. You deal with it. You mortify it. You put it to death. That is all part of repentance. That is all turning. My friend, you turn or you burn. It's as simple as that. And when you hear a word of exhortation, you don't get angry at the preacher. You're humbled. The sinner, by nature, he's filled with enmity against God's word. Enmity with the preacher. As John looked at these men, I believe he said it in love and in concern. He's self-deceived. You're a generation of vipers. You've not been changed. There's no, no desire really for God, is there, in the life? Now, as we close, I want us to think upon this second point that John makes here. Oh, you generation of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. God's wrath is coming. And to whom much has been given, much will be required. We know to do good. The Pharisees knew to, good, knew to do good. But one thing they did not do is truly seek the Lord. And the exhortation from God's word is to seek the Lord while he may be found. God's wrath is coming, friends, because he is angry at sin. Not just one kind of sin. Not just the big sins. But you see, here's the thing. We hate all sin in our lives. If you truly have been born again, you hate all sin. Because you know all sin displeases God. Not just the big sins that people can see. But you've begun to have a hatred for anything that does not Conform to Christ. For anything that displeases God now in your life. Do you have that? You know, we, we can be quite satisfied with pleasing people that we meet. Oh, I must please the pastor. 
I must please the elders, the deacons, or the church. I must be pleasing to... But that's not, that's not being saved, my friend. That's not a life lived for God and for the glory of Christ. What did Christ die for? To secure for himself a zealous people, a people zealous for good works, to hate sin and life, to love righteousness. God is holy and and we should hate sin. If we truly have been born again, we should hate all forms of sin. We should hate lies. We should hate the lies that we sadly make up and the deceit that so often is in our hearts. We should hate all of that. We should never be content with it. God is coming in his wrath. Psalm 5 verse 5, The Lord hateth all workers of iniquity. The Lord says in Deuteronomy 32 verse 35, To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. See, it's, it's a very heinous thing to say you know Christ and to pretend to be a follower of Christ and to live a duplicitous life. Isn't it? That's, that's horrendous. Because you misrepresent God. You say to the world, I'm a child of God. Not only does hypocrisy really make a sham of the gospel, but really it is a mockery of God, thinking that he doesn't notice things, but he does notice it. The gospel really does change lives. Repentance really means repentance. It really means turning. What the Lord says in his word is, break up thy fellow ground, and sow not amongst tares. You have weeds, you have sins. Don't sow God's word amidst the tares of sin in your life. Break up your hard, your fellow ground. And you know what? If, if you can't break it up, say, God, break me up. God, change my heart. Turn me and I shall be turned. If you find out tonight to be a hypocrite, cry to God and say to him, change me. I am a hypocrite. I don't really have what other people have. But I want it, Lord. And you don't come because you know wrath is coming. And many people do because they just fear the wrath to come. But think about God who hates sin. And if God hates sin, why shouldn't you hate it? If sin is ugly and deceitful, shouldn't you hate it? And shouldn't you hate it because of what God had to do to his son in order to deal with sin. He put his son to death by the hands of wicked men to bear away wrath, the wrath of all that believe upon him. And if you say you're truly a Christian, Paul says, how can we who are now dead to sin live any longer unto it? If Christ gave his life and you you, you say you're a Christian, you profess to be a Christian, how can you live to that sin any longer? The world, Paul says, is dead to me, and I to the world. I am crucified to the world, and now I am crucified with Christ. He says, it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God that loved me and gave himself for me. You just turn there with me as we close. Galatians chapter 6. Look at what Paul says in Galatians 6.12. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. There were those outwardly religious in Paul's day. And they were insisting on circumcision. But these people knew nothing of a circumcised heart. 
Now notice what he says. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. Look, we've got more followers. They're not really concerned about a changed life. And I've met some who would even say they preach the word of God. They say, look at all the followers I've got. Look at all the converts I've made. Yeah, you've got your converts, but they're not converted. They're not saved. They're still lost. And they glory in their achievements. But what does Paul say? For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire you to be you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Notice, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. There it is. Somebody that is born again, somebody that has truly repented and changed. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy upon the Israel of God. From henceforth let no man trouble me, and so on. You see, all that counts, my friends, is a new creation. People glory in a little bit of church going, a little bit of religion, and they make themselves comfortable in that. But what is coming to them? God's wrath. There's never really been a break with sin. There's never really been a break with the world. And there's never been a hatred for sin. But there is now in the Christian. Christian is not free from sin. Sin is there. The inward corruptions are there. But you know what? Daily, he dies to sin. And daily, he seeks to live to Christ. And therefore, he is baptized. Paul says, notice Galatians 3, as he says, whoever has been baptized into Christ has put on Christ. Notice verse 27, Galatians 3, 27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now here's the thing, as I close tonight, you want to be baptized, do you? Have you put on Christ by the grace of God? Are you a new person? Bring forth fruit, meat of repentance. I mean in your whole life. Render to God what is God's. Everything is God. And render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. That's the Lord's commandment, not mine. You see, God permeates the whole of the life. Our love to God and our duty to fellow men. These he is well pleased with. Amen.